some people like, love being alone, that's great. There are other people out there who it's almost like it's the worst thing that could happen to them. And even some people who might think it's great to, to be able to work from home to be on their own. It won't be long till you start seeing, I think, the negative side of that. And I, I really do worry what's going to happen. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Stay Hungry podcast. It's Joel and Andy and we're talking about better thinking. Andy, it feels like it's been ages again. Yeah, why did I do last week's? You and Martha did it. Where was I? Oh, I don't know. I heard it was shit. We didn't record last week, it was the week before. So oh, I think you... Was Martha good? Oh yeah, she, she was on it. Excellent. She was on it. Makes a big difference if you're being filmed. I think if you're not filming a podcast, you can relax a lot. I know, I just don't think about it, but... Don't you? Not, not when I'm talking to you. Oh, okay, that's, that's, that's good to know. What are we talking about today then? Uh, better thinking in marketing. Right, so um, the reason being, we're encountering a lot of people who are trying things for about five minutes and then changing path. We're encountering a lot of people who aren't using marketing principles or marketing logic um, for their campaigns. So they're just a lot of short termism, really. A lot of like, oh, if I stack this offer really high, of course people will buy it. But then they're wondering why nobody else buys for them for the next six months after that. So that kind of thing. Attention spans have dropped sixty nine percent in fifteen years. Scary, isn't it? Yeah. And how much must they have dropped in the previous fifteen years yeah. to that? Yeah. Well, you think now we were talking the other day, weren't we? About what was it? Program a video recorder. That's how, that's how old it was. Um, about how you have to lie there. And like press the start time or two minutes before the start time, yeah. end time, select the channel, all that shit. Whereas well, now you press a button. So if you think, if you're growing up with everything or lots of things available at the press of a button, of course your attention spans and are going to be much lower. Well, I used to listen to the Top 40 every Sunday. Mm. The Top 40, was it called the Top 40 Countdown? Yeah, I think so, I think, Sunday yeah. night. And you listen to find out what number one was. And sometimes you'd record it as well and try and skip the talking. Yeah, yeah. But that's, what's that, two hours of attention? And I also, like, as a family, we used to play Monopoly. Do families do that? Is that a thing now? I'd like to think so. Maybe that's just being old. It's a hell of a lot of attention well, required. Maybe at Christmas. Maybe something like charades or something where there's a quick wins, probably. Maybe that's become more... Yeah, or what's the one where you put a post-it on your head and you're a famous person or whatever. Even Holly. Holly said to me the other day, Talk about, um, she's talking about films. Oh, yeah, I'm just not doing films at the moment, really. And it's like, oh, right, she just watches, like, quick soundbites. She might maybe, like, binge a, a half-hour kind of series. She did The Watcher, actually. I think they're about 40 minutes. But, yeah, films, she's just, no, going to the cinema will be if, different. If she but... watches The Watcher for 40 minutes, is her phone with her as well? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, that's, like... So she'll sometimes be watching something on telly and she'll be FaceTiming a group of friends so why are you FaceTime someone if your attention is on that? And that's just what they seem to do. They seem to almost like FaceTime each other when they're just going about their daily lives. Weird. A lot of like um, gamers do these like watch parties where they watch each other game and talk at the same time. It's, like, it's just like Big Brother, isn't it? Just like just voyeurism almost. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it is, isn't Plenty it? Out. Seeing into each other's... And in business, that's, that's part, part of what's happening is that there's always been shiny object syndrome. I think I want to try something new just because yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, it's singing and dancing and looks all sexy. Um, but that's got even worse now. And 
when you're about to leap into a new form of marketing, a form of marketing that's new for you, do your due diligence, of course. But then you go in, you go in 100%, and you've got to give it fucking time. Like you wrote a post about that somewhere. I, I talk about this a lot because yeah. it really pisses me off that most business owners that I meet think in terms of months, I would say. And they're usually mm. judging themselves, well, that was a good month, that was a bad month. And I really think that that's a, a path to feast and famine. Because, and I, I wrote a post about that today as well, about how June, July, uh, sorry, May, June, July were record months for code break, consecutively record months. And then August was a bit of a stinker. Things went quiet. Uh, you know, the, you could put a load of reasons on that, but I don't like to because I think then you start leaning on your excuses. Oh, it's bollocks, yeah. Uh, 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 kids are off school or some shit. It's like fucking hell. It's, there's always something going on. Yeah, of course. So we stuck to our principles and trusted the data and trusted the process, and we're probably on for a record September, and it's only the 5th now when we're recording. Because we've got the sort of the long view. Now, that's not a particularly long view. There are businesses out there who have a bad year or have a, have, you know, have a bad five years, but those that can wait the longest for the result and plan accordingly are the ones that will succeed mm. in the end. Marketing is rarely that wonderful straight line going up. It's just like with some businesses, their ad spend, they might not, they might not even break even on that first new customer acquisition. But getting some of these people to think, well, actually, but because you're good at what you do, that new customer will come back a second time. Then you're in profits. Then they come back a third time, four time. You're laughing and it's not costing any more. Yeah. But though I want to be in profit from, from day one. I understand that. But your industry might not work like that if you're a hairdresser yeah. or something. And I, I think as well, the other bit of it is the self-fulfilling prophecies. If you've got a short-term view and you start saying things like, wow, I'm going to take my foot off the gas in August because the kids are off or um, because everyone else's kids are off or because it's hopefully going to be sunny. What happens is you act accidentally damage your own business. And I, I see a lot of that. A lot of we work in the owner managed business space pretty much. And one or two will start saying, Oh, August is the opportunity for a recharge or for a relax or. I'm going to take some me time in August and then someone else will pipe in, oh yeah, it's a good opportunity to spend time with the kids. And before you know it, six or seven businesses have all decided that August is the time to relax. That has a knock-on effect to everybody else. Now, the economy is always fine through the summer because of the tourist economy and everything else that's going on. But I'm sat here going, well, I want to work with the businesses that aren't thinking like that. I want to work with the businesses that are thinking... Everyone else is napping in August. I'm going to lay some foundations that mean in September we come out swinging. That's it's a very different mindset. It's like September. You're already seeing, and we see this every year. Some business owners say, "Ah, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to do whatever. Come 2024, come January." I'm yeah, like, that's four fucking months away. Are you telling me you've got a cunning growth plan? but you're not going to do anything about it until January. That's just fucking well, madness. Pe people in July were talking about how September's the second new year of the year. And now those same people are saying what you're saying, oh, I'll wait till 2024. 2020, like, I mean, ironically, we're launching something in 2024, but that's we're actually working on it now. Do it's, it's, it's like there are clients that are being tested on it now, but it's... Do it now, then you've got to do it Yeah, later. it's... I. I did, part of my post that I did the other day was 
people who talk about happy hump day and it's nearly the weekend and friday and i said all you're doing is making people think you hate your business like i you might think i'm sad if you do you probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast but my business is my main passion so yeah on a saturday and sunday i think about my business on a wednesday night when i'm having spaghetti bolognese with my wife i'm thinking about the business and i've got other hobbies and passions but this is my main one and if you don't like that you probably you we're probably not compatible and i'm all right with that yeah if you don't like it don't be stupid enough to publish the fact it's yeah. like, and especially if you i mean they're probably like hr things you can't say to employees or you you know always your own social media you can say what you want but if you've got employees writing things like friday and hump day and and like shit it's sunday night well they're doing your business damage yeah i watched a, like a a sequence of um successful people talking about what it takes to be a success and it was a mix of employees oh, and toxic to me, John. motivational speakers and stuff and and they said the first thing you can identify in anyone who's not going to make it is there a clock watcher and then they explained it's not necessarily just the nine to five thing it's that they're tracking dates they're talking about end of the week they're talking about payday and as soon as they start thinking like that rather than talking about the result they're done they're, they're caught by the system they're in the they're in the matrix as such they're on the hamster wheel i think linkedin is one of the worst proponents of this because obviously they're employers and employees on linkedin but it's become such a such a battleground now for ideas that obviously not everyone's going to agree with everything but you know if you write a there'll be people writing posts like you know your boss pays you from nine till five so you should and there'll just be hundreds of employees agreeing just like you know oh it's it's your right to work from home and you get hundreds of employees agreeing with that and it's like and you've got all this thing gathers momentum so even when the research starts showing that Work from home isn't exactly the cure for everything. In fact, it could be damaging your business. And your mental health. And your mental health. I mean, fucking hell, some of my friends' kids are like working in London, paying a fortune for rent, and they haven't even met who they're working with. They're sat in a little bedsit on their own, in their pants all day, typing with on a computer. With a crooked neck because they're yeah. working on their laptop on their bed. And it's like, don't tell me that's that's good for your development. Now, yes, of course, some jobs you can work from home and stuff. But anyway, that, that's a bit of a side chat. But someone has a view... And it gets exacerbated because of social media, especially on LinkedIn. And suddenly you think, oh dear, well, they're all doing that. So I must clock yeah. too, because I worked till 10 past five last night. That isn't and right. And that, that broad brush thing so dangerous, because I completely understand if you work in an Amazon distribution warehouse and you're paid nine to five, you're never going to see promotion. You don't even get like a quarterly one-to-one or whatever. That There's an argument that Jeff Bezos doesn't give a shit about you you come, you do, you do your work, you go home, get that. If you work in a small business, an owner-managed business, a business that's growing, and there's opportunities for you and you don't take them, the the news flashes, you've only got yourself to blame. Hmm. And that's Just like if you're going to leave at five o'clock on the dot every single time, that's fine, that's up to you, that's up to your, your bosses, whatever. But when you want to go to the dentist at two o'clock, don't be surprised if your boss asks you to take a half day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, I don't even I don't even feel bitter about this. We're very fortunate that we have a team that we don't have to, this doesn't really come up very often. But that whole, like, we see it with business owners where they're like, oh, I've worked hard today, so now my business owes me some time off. No, it fucking doesn't. Like, 
that that time that you've decided to rest, you might need it, and that's valid. Yeah. I get yeah. that. Like rest and recovery is important. But that time where you've like, oh, I've done a hard day's work today. I'm going to have a couple of cocktails. That's where your competitors are going to get a run on you. And that's what's hard with, I mean, the four the the four day work week and and, all, and to be honest, I'm not read up enough about the situation to do a deep commentary on it. But if you're gonna oh the four hour work week no no the, if you're gonna work Monday to, oh, if okay. your company say decides you're gonna work Monday to Thursday now nine to five instead of Monday to Friday nine to five that's fine but you've got to be aware there are businesses out there and businesses in other countries out there that are working five six maybe seven days a week and I'm not saying that's right but that's the fact that's what you're yeah and and I think the the sociological argument of it is when they've tested this in Scandinavia just as much work gets done we ain't Scandinavia well well, there's there's that (laughs) but also that's fine but there is a strong argument to say well then couldn't you have got more done in the five days now I'm not saying like I think I think I'd be a proponent of a three-day week if all of the work got done to the standard that it should and you know, we were still attracting clients. I've got no issue with that. That's not what I mean. But I meet business owners who work really hard on a Monday, so they take they, so they rest on Tuesday, and then they go again, and and then they wonder why a very similar business to them has got a run on them. And I, I'm like, well, you've got a very different work ethic. Neither is wrong or right, but that's the risk you take unless you've employed a tremendous amount of automation you've really thought about your outsourcing you've really really got all your processes nailed the the business that's willing to outwork you will produce more and that's it's just as simple as that i don't think it's going to be long next year maybe 2025 when working four days a week becomes another another right i'm i it's my right i'm i'm entitled to, to choose i want to work four days yeah, um, and I got no I got no qualms of doing ten hours a day for four days a week. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so that's what my wife's cousin's law firm in Jersey. That's what they do. They work longer per day, but for, for Monday to Thursday. But there are other companies who stick to the same hours, but they've literally just lost a day. Yeah, and or or if, if the culture became everyone's on a thirty-hour contract and everybody works four days, but across five. Well, I'm all right with that too, but that's not. I don't think what you're suggesting is what. That's not realistic, but it is what will happen. I, I, yeah, it is what will happen. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of, I think, um, pushback on the work from home thing. Again, there are certain industries I'm sure it works fine for, but the other industries are paying the price. When all the big boys led from the front, saying, "Oh, you can now work whenever, work from wherever," blah blah blah, and now of course they're reining that back in. Now actually. You can't go and buy a house 200 miles away. You need to be a, within commutable distance of the office. Actually, we're now going to want you in the office two days a week. So friends of ours in the UK, in London, um, they moved house further out of London. Their jobs are in London. I said, but what about commuting? Well, we're only needed two days a week in the office. And the right? Okay. And what happened literally as soon as they moved in? Yeah, the bosses now, they want us in three days a week. And what's to stop them saying, actually, yes, four days? Or, you know... It's in your contract five days. I, I think a lot of people think it's for like monitoring, and it's not. It's because the 
the level of production has dropped. It's, and, and I think a lot of that is for social reasons, that if you put, let's say, five relatively intelligent people together in one space, they will produce more than five relatively intelligent people spread out. It's just the the sum of our parts is greater than our individual pieces or whatever the phrase is. Yeah, yeah, I think, um, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's um, There's only so much Zoom people can handle, and that creativity, that sharing of ideas, um, that laughter together. Yeah. You know, just that some people, some people like love being there, that's great. There are other people out there who it's almost like it's the worst thing could happen to them. And even some people who might think it's great to, to be able to work from home, to be on their own, it won't be long till you start seeing, I think, the the, the negative side of that. And I, I really do worry what's going to happen to, to a, a massive percentage of, of the working population. But Yeah. It's almost like nothing we've got written down here, isn't oh, it? Yeah, I've sacked that off now. Oh, we're not doing this now. Well, we're talking about more important things, really. You've got something here about embracing data-driven decision-making. Are you sure? Well, yeah, how much work do you get done in four days versus how much work do you get done in five? But that whole, like, the the better thinking argument is there will be businesses out there where it is better for them to work four days. That doesn't mean it applies to all businesses. There will be businesses out there where it's better for them, like... uh, a furnace probably has to run seven days a week because you put the furnace out, it costs a lot to get it going again. So, therefore, their staff are staggered across that time. There is no one-size-fits-all, and we live in a very broad-brush society, so everything is black or white, it's yes or no, it's right or wrong, and it's just not how it works. And, like, for our business, I mean, you and I work seven days a week, but the team work five days a week, and they work hard, and... And I think generally they enjoy their work, and that's the key. Like we want them to come in and be productive because it's an enjoyable space and and oh, and challenging as well. There's there's an element of the work that actually engages them. If you're an employer and you don't have that luxury, where you know box packing, for example, is probably not the most challenging or engaging thing. You've got to think outside the box, ironically, <laughs> but. Um, you know, you've got to start thinking about, right, well, what can we do to make this a more engaging workplace? How do we keep camaraderie up? How do we make people want to be here? How do we get more done in less time? All these things, like what automations can we put in place? And then you've also got to face the backlash of that because the more automations you put in place because box packing is boring, the more people say you're stealing their jobs. And it's like that's the game we're playing. That is what better thinking in business is about. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, well, I, see, I think it was just this morning I saw something else. Um, oh, someone we know actually in the design space, um, basically just slagging off AI and talking about some things, you know, AI can't replace. And of course, fucking AI can't replace everything. It's not there to replace everything. But some people are running scared. Some people are taking the time to learn how to use it properly. And of course, some people are just using and abusing it and then wondering why the results aren't as good. You know, AI is only going to be as good as... as the person who's the programming input. it. Yeah. yeah, so shit in, shit out, as we say. And chat GPT is brilliant. And here, ha- you know, copywriting is one of the main things we do. Have we sacked any of our guys because of chat GPT? No. We're just using it and we know how to use it well. We've produced fucking PDFs on how to use chat GPT properly. But again, some people's thinking is, here's a tool, it's free to use, I'm just going to find the laziest way yeah. to use it. Scary. Like, you know, I'm a dentist. Uh, Chat GPT, write me 400 words 
on why you should only go to a dentist for teeth whitening. Yes, you'll get something out of it that might be readable, that helps with your SEO, but you put it on your website. But is it going to be doing what it should do for you? Well, well, no. So either expend the time learning how to use it properly or don't. I mean, I would say the where we are with AI right now, it with the skill our team has got, it's actually faster for them to write a blog themselves than it is to get AI to do it. But the second blog is a lot quicker by AI because they've put all the legwork in setting the foundations on the first one, teaching it who the person is, what their expertise is, who their niche are, what words to use, what words not to use, all these inputs that most people just couldn't be asked to do. So you spend four hours to get what would have taken 20 minutes out of it but then the next time it takes five minutes and then the next time it takes five minutes again. And so by the time you get to block number 10, you're in significant time profit. Now that's better thinking, but that's always been the case in business. That what, Long before AI, setting foundations and putting processes in place has always been the way to do it, but most people don't. Maybe it just comes down to laziness, which, which always has a reflect on time, how we started this conversation, is that, well... That's going to take me 15 minutes. Oh, I can't be asked. And like fucking hell, the curse of many a business owner is I'm I'm not going to recruit a PA to do those £10 hour tasks because I'll have to train them. It's just quicker if I do it. They won't be able to do it as well as me. All those kind of excuses come up. And before you know it, you've been in business a, load, a long time and you're still devoting way too much of your day to the stuff that someone else can be yeah. doing more profitably and, to be honest, probably better than you. Yeah, it's it's... And it is easy to fall into those habits, like, don't get me wrong, but are you making a job for yourself, which most business owners are, or are you building a business? And there's a significant yeah. distinction. If you find yourself having to do the same tasks over and over again, and you and they're never getting faster, they're never getting improved, you couldn't pass it to someone else if you got injured or had to go to hospital or whatever, then you've built yourself a job. Yeah. If you can do something... And you know in six months' time, someone else would be able to do it to the same standard. You're building a business. And the the reality is nine out of ten business owners that I meet aren't building a business, even if they've done quite well. Yeah, I mean, bloody hell, it bores the shit out of me talking about systems and processes. But but if you haven't got like a, a manual or a playbook of of how you run your business, how you do jobs, how you do tasks there is going to be a lot of long-term pain every time you get a new employee, every time someone makes a mistake, um, you know, things like checklists and stuff. Just brilliant. If something keeps going wrong, design a checklist for it. Check these things off, sign it and give it to me so I make sure everything's running properly. Sounds boring as fuck, but guess what? You don't then tear your hair out for the rest of your life because some someone can't do something properly. It is boring. Like the boring most, important. The most successful businesses figure out how to do the same thing over and over again but better each time. That's boring. The but the passion comes from the result, and it, you know, like people that play elite level sport, it isn't fun to do ladder sprints every day, to then play football on a Saturday, but you do it because it makes you better at the end result. And yet, we meet so many businesses. Oh, I don't want to do that. Why? Oh, it doesn't float my boat. It doesn't light my fire. It doesn't fill my cup. Fuck off. Like, that is not 
how it works like what does float your boat is helping the people that get the end result so sorry you're gonna have to go through a little bit of discomfort to get there that's what that's what better thinking is it's the people who like i've made this joke on my posts recently as well the people who start talking about their gains in the gym when you know full well they've only been twice and the second time was to have a smoothie it's like (laughs) come on like just like people even with me like oh you've been walking quite a lot lately joel do you feel fitter well, I've been walking for a month, so I feel a little bit fitter, but I'm not ready for Everest. It's like it's yeah. Well, some people don't get like the long walks. Uh, we know a lot of people and good business people who don't like the gym because they can't think of anything more boring. So I need to pick that up and put it down again. Yeah. Ten times weight, and then do it ten times again, ten times. And okay, that's fair enough. But find something that does float your boat. But if you want results, guess what? There will be repetition involved. There. Yeah. Somewhere along the way. And repetition, and repetition, and repetition, and again, that's why. Oh, yeah, a bit bored of that now. I'm going to, I'm going to devote all my attention to TikTok. Mm. Okay, great. But then a month later, when they have, when TikTok hasn't given them a flood of business inquiries, right? I'm going to throw myself into. I mean, how many people come to us and say, oh, I'm, I'm thinking about launching a podcast? It's like, right, okay, right. <sighs> let's let's hear what you got. To, let's t- tell me about your plan. Tell me about some of the other marketing you've tried. It's like, yeah, you, you do an episode a week for a year. What, a whole year? What, once a week? Well, yeah. And that's even, even that's not that frequent. Well, yeah, yeah. Like we've been doing this three years now. We're over 250 episodes, I think. Didn't and um, the only evidence we have that for this, other than listening data and stuff, but the only evidence we have for, for this being a success is anecdotal. I would say probably one in two people that sign up with us now say, I listen to your podcast three years it's taken us to get to that place most people haven't got the patience for that well if i'm writing about how long something takes generally my rule of thumb for marketing is you give it a year so whether that's a podcast whether that's bloody joining a networking club whatever because it just never seems to be major that people think you can put out one podcast or attend one networking lesson or meeting have one ad in the paper and sit back and wait for the phone to ring. I tried that; it didn't work, Andy. It's like, really? You went once to a networking meeting, ate a bacon sandwich, cornered people into a room trying to sell them your shit, and it didn't work. It's like you got to turn up again. I mean, bloody hell, we know some clubs. Um, I remember talking to a lady who runs a travel agency, and she was about to quit after her second year in this group. And someone said to her, "No, honestly, the third year is where the magic happens." Like, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll do another fucking year, and it turned her business around. Now, I'm not saying you have to wait three years for everything, but it's like you've got to give it some time. Yeah. And there are ways to accelerate those things. Like networking is a great example. If you join a networking club and within your first three months of being in that networking club, you buy off three people in that room, you will get an inquiry in that period. It's, it's just Give the, us gain, Joel. Yeah. It's just the nature of how it works. You've got to put yourself in it. I spoke to someone today who I've met through NFTs, had a quick chat with him. He was like, oh, we've got a lot of synergy. Can we have a meeting? Oh, uh, okay. So I'll come to your office on Monday. I was like, and he was so, like, giving and so keen that before I even knew what I was saying, it was in the diary. I was like, fucking hell, I've actually done that. And he, and he even said to me at the beginning of the call, I'm good at networking. Okay. And, uh, and I, it was like he sold me. But that's the game you're playing. If you want to accelerate the process, you've got to put the groundwork in and I think like the hard thing for business owners is they go into this networking club and they think the fee for the networking is their gateway to the opportunity. And it's not. That's just getting yourself through the door. Yeah, people people have to 
get to know you. Most people are not going to give you money straight away. Some people will, but generally speaking, they've got to make sure, yeah, yeah, they're, they're decent. I trust them. They seem to know what they're on about. Okay, let's give it a punt. And that doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. Same with the podcast. Oh, yep, that's a, a good podcast. They, they know their stuff. I'll get my checkbook out now. No, they're going to want to listen to a few. And to be honest, there's some people out there testing it. They want to see if you've got skin in the game. Yeah. Like, you know, the the corny phrase, the fortunes in the follow-up. There are some people out there who want to see what your follow-up seems it's like, to see what, if you give up too early. Had that exact conversation in an MTS session yesterday. Okay. Said to someone, and I won't name them because it's not fair, but they, they do bespoke work. They get 13 inquiries a month for this bespoke work. They have non-bespoke work as well. Uh, 13 inquiries a month and five sales. So a pretty decent wow. conversion mm. rate. Uh, okay, what do you do with the other eight? What do you mean? So well, they've come in for a 45-minute meeting. You've gone through sample books. You've quoted them. Then what? Oh, I wait to see if they get back in touch. Okay. Well, from now on, nobody leaves with a quote because the quotes go in a lovely envelope. It's part of the experience. Nobody leaves with a quote unless there is a follow-up call booked in. And I reckon that'll add two more sales to the business each month, just just that on its own. But they hadn't thought of that. And it's like the going to a networking club. You've got a lead magnet on your website, but you go into a networking club and you ask people to buy from you straight away. Why don't you say, scan this QR code and you can get my lead magnet and they're straight into your database? And then you'll find it so much easier to sell to them further down the line. But people treat everything separately. They don't follow their own processes. And then they end up confused why nobody's buying from them. Or they talk to one audience and they say, like, I'm a butcher. They talk to another audience, they say, I'm a baker. They talk to another audience, they say, I'm a candlestick maker. And then when they talk to their actual audience, they wonder why they're confused. Yeah, that's so true. I think, if you think about it, I think this year we've talked to a lot of businesses about the money they're already sitting on. Get new people into the into your, the top of your funnel, whatever you want yeah. to call it. Of course, fresh blood, Absolutely. But give attention and priority, perhaps, to the people who are already in your funnel, but they're leaking out of the bottom. Yeah. So, you know, so this lady, yes, there's eight people you can stay in touch with. But until until you know, you you, you don't know, perhaps. Yeah, it? yeah. Oh, yeah, it's not and, a criticism. And That's why they're paying us, right? Yeah, and it's being, maybe being British. Like, for my mum, the thought of following someone up, well, well, if they were interested, they would have got in touch. If they were interested, they would have replied to my voicemail. It's like, it, it just doesn't work. Like and that. the bad news for your mum is, if it's me, I'm not buying unless they follow up. Because it's part of my test. How good's this company to work with? I mean, I've been burnt. I bought I bought a car without any human involvement. And then when something went wrong, absolutely battered me. So now, like my modus operandi is, I'm going to inquire with this company, and unless I hear anything, not happening. Yeah, I mean, I, well, you know I sign up for stuff because I want to see what their process is like, whether it's ad retargeting, whether it's follow-up SMSs, whatever. and some companies are so good, you think, shit, I hadn't thought of that. We'll, we'll be able to use that for ourselves and use it for our clients. They're always out there learning. But it's amazing how many big companies, they, they just haven't got a follow-up process. And you think, well, okay, you're making X amount of money, but you're leaving Y amount of money on the table. Oh, and if the owners knew how some of their staff were behaving... They'd be livid. Like we, we last year, uh, we ran spa retreats as part of like a, a co-broke promotion. And uh, we contacted some of the biggest spas in the UK to say, we want a meeting room, we want 12 rooms, we want two-day spa retreat for guests. 
So, I mean, you're talking at, at the lowest five grand and at the high end, 20 grand of spend. And I, I reckon I contacted 20 spars and only three got back to me. And of the three that got back to me, only one had read my email properly. Someone posted on um, LinkedIn. I mean, well, you might have guessed I'm not a LinkedIn fan. But I just read it about an hour ago. And it was a company that was looking for a big um, IT contract in the Middle East. They were looking for an IT supplier sorry, in the Middle East. And it was probably like a 500 grand contract. Yeah. He wrote down the list of stuff you wouldn't believe about how many he had to chase for a proposal, how many sent proposals that were shit. Or, and it's like fucking hell for half a million quid. And so I think this happens on, on every level, not just Well, You, t- small you told me a story today, no names mentioned. but uh, oh, Please don't, they'll beat me up. It was a building contractor who wanted access to someone who owns over 200 properties in a certain <laughs> I area. I thought it was going to be last night's one. That was another one, wasn't um, it? I had to give them my money. And so they they met someone who knew this person who owns 200 properties, and they set them up, basically made the connection. And then the next conversation was, have you given her a ring yet? And this was like a month later. Oh, no, not yet. Like, fucking hell. Like, what do you want? Like, well, so, so last night when I had a free session at a business and I was about to leave and, and no one had stopped me to say, what would you like to do? Did you enjoy it? Would you like to come again? And so I was, I was literally having to give them my wallet to take money because I was like, this this is really good. But most people, I would say, would probably have just walked out and thought, oh, may, maybe I wasn't a good fit because no one came to me. Maybe they weren't interested. Maybe they think I'm not good yeah. enough or whatever. And it's like... And maybe that's just sales training because if the final link in the chain is not you as the business owner, that person needs right. Okay, if someone walks into your shop, fucking look up from the till. There's, got, there's they, a starting one. They've got to be. There's got to be an incentive for them to do it, and it might not be commission, but ultimately, if you're running a fitness class, let's say it wasn't a fitness class to be clear, but if you're running a fitness class and there's like a receptionist. They've got to be incentivized to make those people want to come again. And if they don't know the script and don't know what to do and don't know what's in it for them, it's not going to happen. So if you're running an ad to drive people into this premises and the person sat there doesn't look up, doesn't engage, doesn't really know what to do, hasn't been trained, why are you wasting money on ads? Yeah, scary, right? It's uh, but, but I'd say that's, that's commonplace um, and so much about... It was just, it's not even business, it's just courtesy. Someone comes into your, your shop, you, play, you look up and smile. So, interestingly, so the, the lady I was talking to yesterday who didn't have the follow-up process for the bespoke also has a retail shop. Okay. And um, I said, oh, do you have upsell procedures? Do your staff know what to do? What? And she was like, yeah, she reeled off all Blimey. these things that they have. So um, if you bought a certain item, the staff knew which other items to offer. Oh yeah, that's you know. Oh, so, you know, no one business has it perfect, and our job is to look for the opportunities. But something like that's a great example of what's possible. Someone comes into your shop to buy. I mean, let's say it's a cooking supplies shop. It wasn't. Someone comes in and buys a spatula. You need to know what other items go with that spatula. So, oh, I see you've bought our spatula today. Did you know that we've also got these tongs that go perfectly with that spatula? And if you buy them together, you get 10% off. It's it's hard to get staff to do that. You've got to have your processes nailed. 
And, and yeah, is that sh- maybe it is that short term pain of like, right, I've got to write these processes down. Uh, well, someone else leaves. That means I've got to go through it again because I haven't bothered writing anything down. So I've got to train and train and train every time I get a new starter. It's like um, uh, the founders just on Netflix now, isn't it? And I need oh, it's to watch moved that again. over, yeah. Because um, that, that, that story about how McDonald's became the behemoth it is, just an amazing example of following a formula. This is how many gherkins. This is how many bloody burgers. This is how many slides. This is how long it... And here's the manual to do it. So you can literally go to anyone with half a brain and say, right, here's how to do a burger the McDonald's way. Don't don't fuck around. Don't think you can do it better. Don't think you can deviate from the recipe. Do this and you'll have a job. Yeah, I love that. Like I worked in a supermarket as one of my first jobs and we used to get mystery shopped. Ah, okay. So you had to know the lingo. You know, always like, would you like help with your packing? That was one thing we had to say. Um, I can't remember the other. Oh, always greet the customer. Uh, did you find everything you needed today? That was another, like, the things you had to know to say. Now, cruel thing to say, but let's say that every not everyone that works in a supermarket is going to join Mensa. But if you can get... If you can get people in a relatively low-level job to follow a process, then you've got no excuse in slightly more exciting businesses. You know, there, there were people there that were quite proud to work in a supermarket and actually, aspire, you know, they were they were achieving something by being there who were able to follow the process. So if they can, why can't you? And Yeah, the founder, Michael Keaton. Um, yeah, it did get that very good reviews, really. It's because he's an absolute bastard in it, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, not advocating McDonald's or Ray Kroc or anything like that, but just a good in, just a good insight. Like the Steve Jobs. Oh no, I'm not going to read Steve. Steve Jobs was a twat. He's a very cruel man, so I'm not going to read his book. Well, well, for a start, no one's fucking perfect. But put that aside, and what can you learn from it? Yeah, and I think like with Ray Kroc, the 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 issue, I guess, the issue with the film is it can't, it doesn't decide whether it wants to be a film about Ray Kroc doing the the brothers out of their idea. Or whether it's a film about how to build an incredible franchise, it sort of plays with the two and doesn't. But if you're a business owner, it's it's, it's like watching Wolf of Wall Street. Clearly, he's a prick, <laughs> but it's absolutely fascinating as a business owner to watch his methods and how he works and how he motivates his team. Now, I'm not saying we can have like head shaving contests and strippers show up in the office all the time, but the the psychology of what's going on and, and how he's able to get his team all on side and how they, they literally would run through brick walls for him as a business owner should be interesting. Well, there's that brilliant scene in the film, isn't it, where you know you talked about the supermarket employees where he gets quite a varied collection of his mates together and he says, you read this script, I'll fucking make you rich. Don't, don't get funny, don't get clever, read this fucking script. And so you've got all these, all sorts, reading the script, and making shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, even earlier in the film, he goes into the penny stocks place to oh. work, and he, on his first Aerodyne call, systems. on his first call, he like smashes it, and everyone else in there is like, "How the fuck did you do that?" And like, once you've shown people what's possible, and that that was the thing the, that the supermarkets got wrong, I would say, is some angry middle-aged person. I nearly said woman, but person taught you to ask people if they wanted help with their packing. And was there anything else you needed today? But never gave you the reason why you had to say those things. Mm. Whereas if you if they'd sort of put us in a training situation and said, oh, by the way, 
we'll make 10% more on every purchase if we ask people if there's anything else they need today. And if you offer to help people with their packing, they leave with a smile on their face. Do you understand? That's yeah, tiny yeah, tweak. Yeah. But that many businesses will say to people, like, let's use McDonald's as an example, oh, remember to ask everyone if they want fries or not, which they don't do anymore, but let's say they did. Unless you say why, they're not going to do it. Well, like, um, is it Starbucks? You, you give your order. Would you like anything else? And just that, that simple question. Yeah. Most people say no, but guess what? Some people are like, oh, yeah, I'll have that. Or they'll let you know what the offer of the day is or whatever. Yeah. And again, a percentage of people will buy it. And They're it's just, pretty good on telling you that you can have a different bean and pay twice yeah. as much for it, aren't they? I've taken the app off a photo. I've been really good with Starbucks lately. I used to spend a fortune there. But, but you know, no, it's just thinking about... Um, uh, what you're saying, what you're saying about the supermarkets um, and the mystery shopping, because you know, let's let's assume that final link of this a chain in your chain is an employee. We had a client a few years ago. It might have been pre-pandemic, and the call to action was to phone, and we made it very clear that that shouldn't be your sole call to action because not everyone answers the phone properly. Some people don't want to phone as the first contact. Yeah. Anyway, no, 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 you're wrong. And it doesn't matter because my phone always gets answered. <laughs> well, are you sure? No, it always, even if she goes to the toilet, she takes her phone with her. We call three times, no one answered two times. So if we're going to get bloody measured on how many phone calls are made, then it's like, so so you, and this, I think this was the guy's partner. You're telling me. We've had it with more than one. It was client. like, always answer the phone. I've shown you now that's, that's just not true. So we can't be held accountable. You're saying about the number of calls. I'm saying that's not true. And, You've got that's the sort of level of detail you need to get into. Oh, Mystery yeah. Mystery shopping is is still a brilliant way of finding out what general public's um, opinion of you is like. Oh yeah, like every marketing agency in the land will have had the conversation. These leads are shit. Okay, what did you do with the leads? Well, I called them all. Next question: How many times did you call them? And you watch the colour drain from the business owner's face as you ask the question, because getting the lead is only the first ten percent of the job. Then you've got to do all the nurture, all the follow-up, and guess what? People are busy. Like, day-to-day, most people are in their routine of get up, brush their teeth, feed their kids breakfast, get in the car, go to work, get through the work day, get home, get dinner on, get the kids to bed, maybe watch half an hour or something with their wife or husband, go to bed. You've got to interrupt that routine. Yeah. And that that takes some doing. You've got to, like, really work at it. So my mum hates all that. But on the flip side is, my mum never makes decisions. So when she's like, oh, well, I wouldn't like it if someone kept calling me. Yeah, you're not their ideal customer, yeah. mum. And nothing against my mum. She's, you know, and she's getting on a bit now, so she doesn't want to feel badgered. Um, but say say with the, the car dealership that she got her car from. Oh, oh God, they, they just contact me all the time. Okay, what do you mean? Because I'm, I'm pretty sure I told them not to phone you. If they, if they want to phone, to phone me. Oh, no, it's emails. Okay, well, let's have a look at your iPad then. And they're emailing her like once a fortnight. I'm like, well, mum, that's that's almost like the minimum to go, oh, no, no, it's too much, it's too much. So, right, I tell you what, I'll get them to email me instead. But just because one person doesn't like it or, you know, it's hard, isn't it, to take yourself out of the equation. Well, I wouldn't like that. Well, it doesn't fucking matter what you like. Yeah, if it's you, maths. If you say you wouldn't like to be emailed um, more than once a month, don't bother email marketing then. Yeah, I, I mean, I, this is a bugbear at the moment, but people I respect are quite frequently posting at the moment that uh, if they got emailed more than twice a week, they'd unsubscribe or three times a week or whatever. Brilliant, thank you. And I I think it's bollocks. I think they're lying. 
Uh, no. If you got emailed like most of the emails you receive three times a week, you'd be annoyed. But if every email you received from a company had something that was worth it in it for you, you wouldn't unsubscribe no matter how many they sent you. It's like That's like a kid going into a sweet shop and saying, oh, I get given six sweets, but I don't like the seventh, so stop giving me sweets. It's bollocks. Like it's, soon, it's not about volume, it's about value. And, and equally, if, you, if you're amazing emails, and trust me, no one is this good, you could send one email a month and be more effective than someone that sends one email a day. But but the reality is you're just not that effective and you won't cut through the noise. And it just it just blows my mind that people will sit there, business owners will sit there and say, Oh, you shouldn't email every day, it's spammy. Bollocks. It's the only it's the only way you can get in front of people frequently without being too invasive. Because I agree, you can't ring someone every day. You probably can't DM them every day. If you sent them something physically every day, that would also be a bit weird. But email's the only space where they get to choose if they read it or not. Yeah, most people, they, they are shit at emails. And maybe that's just email is now so old. It's just a bit boring. Oh, no one reads emails anymore. What? what who, who are these people then? And obviously you've got SMS as well. Oh, I can't ask someone's phone number. Well, why not? If you don't ask, you don't get. Do you know, it's, at the moment, it's actually cheaper on a Facebook ad, cost per lead when you ask for a phone number as well as an email address because... It shows intent. You're probably more likely to buy. Make sure it's more legitimate. And it, yeah. You might not give your phone number out, but don't assume no one else would. Because when you've got their phone number, as long as you use it ethically, you can WhatsApp them, you can SMS them, whatever it might be, and vary that follow-up process. Because like you said, yeah, you can't just call, call, call someone. But luckily enough, you've got all these other tools. You can stay in front of someone until they say, hey, maybe you were for me, but you're not anymore. Well, okay, thank you. Yeah. Now they fucked off. That gives you more time to focus on the people who are still in your community. Yeah. You lead with value, and the right people swim towards you, and the wrong people swim away from you. As long as they're doing some fucking swimming, you've got a problem when they're treading water. When your content's a bit meh, and and they're um, indifferent. Yeah. You don't. You you want ideally some kind of a reaction, but that comes down to to the copyrighted, to frequency, to, to everything. Um, and Opinion. yeah, email marketing yeah. is just so underrated, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, if you're good at marketing, volume doesn't matter. It, because it's like, it's like um, you know, when you get to the cinema and you see a good trailer or a good advert, nobody minds. They only complain about the bad ones. You don't go, oh, I hate the trailers. I mean, people do say that, but, but they don't mean that. Yeah. They don't mean they hate the trailers. They mean they hate the shit trailers. And same in business. You get an email that's decent. Most savvy business owners read it and go, bloody hell, I wish we sent emails like that. If you get something in the post that's decent, most savvy business owners go, that was smart, like that. I mean, today I received something in the post from, yeah. from a coach. and I, I'm, not, I'm still not quite sure why I've got it, but it's got my attention and it's, and it's earned more loyalty from me. And I was loyal already. And it's... There's, yeah. There are things you can do to create connections. There's things you can do to make people feel... Special. So AI could have done that job. Well, 100%. I mean, it will, but... Yeah. I mean, some, you know, most of the... I keep saying funnel, I just can't think of another word, but, you know, a, a system of staying in touch with people, the best funnels will involve some manual work. You know, unless you've got yeah. thousands and thousands of customers, have the ability to get notified, right, send this person a letter, send them something in the post, send them, and you go through that effort and a little bit of expense 
that will be reciprocated if you've got a good good enough database because none of your competitors, frankly, can be bothered. They're spending their time doing other shit. Yeah. I mean, I think about some of the suppliers we've had where we've spent significant sums with them and crickets, nothing. It's quite scary. But then we've also got examples of suppliers who've been brilliant. So that, but that opportunity. Well, my last, um, the car I had before this one, not not a dicky bird, you know. So well, you know, sizable investment, and I will want another car at some point. I'm not going to come to you, and you just know what happens at the end of a three year lease. Guess when they call you? And it's like, oh fuck me, well I haven't heard off you for like two point nine years, and now you're getting in touch, and now I'm going to try a different. See what company. happens with mine. Be interesting. Uh, that'd be very interesting. So I haven't heard a peep. Uh, well, you know, I'm with Rybrook now, and probably once a month I'll get some kind of communication. And a bit surprisingly, it's not just sell, sell, sell. And it's yeah. like, oh, well, that's quite. They, that's quite I, I think the, the like mid-level to premium brand should have client relationship managers. Just just checking everything right with your car. What else can I do? Yeah. And in fact, then um, I got a phone call off. George at BMW, um, anything I can help with? And no, nice to hear from you. Um, and then a couple of days later, went to a party at mum's house and her friend Dylan was looking for a new car, fucked off with his Peugeot, had enough of the service. Um, and I talked to him and like the, the BMW 1 series, you know, the hatchback, he, he liked the look of. And so I gave him George's number. And whether anything came of it, I don't know. But it's those little touches like that that require a bit of effort and a system, but the rewards are long-standing. Yeah, yeah. I think we've nailed that. Nice. What do people need to do if they want to get in touch with us, Andy? Oh, I don't know now. Go to codebreak.co.uk, drop us a DM on Instagram, and have a free discovery call. Nice one, everyone. Take care.